1: Morning, everyone. It's a Saturday morning, December the 2nd, 2023. I'm Peter Boyle, 710, K&US Denver's talk station. In the weather, 45 will be the high today, 28 tonight, tomorrow the toy run, 38th time we ride motorcycles to children's. 49 will be the high on Sunday, and Monday, 52 degrees. Henry Kissinger passed away, and immediately I thought, I want to do a show, but I want the right guest Welcome back. The man over time has made things work for me so easy. From Baylor University, historian Dr. David Smith. Good morning, sir. Thanks for doing the show, and Merry Christmas.
2: Good morning to you, Peter. It's great to be back with you, and Merry
1: Christmas to you, too. Um, Was Henry Kissinger the model for Dr. Strangelove? Uh, hmm,
2: That's an interesting question. No, I've Uh, I've,
1: I've, I've, I've heard that and read it, that he was the...
2: I I don't know how he could have been because Dr. Strangelove was so much before Kissinger became prominent. You know, hardly anybody would have known Kissinger uh, unless Stanley Kubert just Mm -hmm. knew somebody who knew of him.
1: But I've I've read this and, you know, not anything that's focused on here's a true fact, but the belief that Henry Kissinger was the working model for, for Dr. Strangelove. So
2: it's, it's It's interesting because, you know, you you look at Peter Sellers' portrayal of Dr. Strangelove in the movie and you think, wow, that really sounds like Henry Kissinger. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how it could have come to pass that Kissinger was that much on somebody's radar in Hollywood.
1: Real quick, I should have done this. I apologize. Uh, Do a quick bio, Professor, if you would, of who you are before we begin again.
2: Oh, of who I am? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I uh, was born and raised in the Dallas area here in Texas. Uh, got a, a bachelor's and master's from Southwest Texas State University, which is now Texas State University here uh, in history. Went to Missouri for my PhD, got a PhD in modern American history, spent four years teaching in North Carolina… And then came back here and uh, got the gig at Baylor. Gosh, twenty-one yeah. years
1: ago, yeah. gig <laughs> like a radio show. I got a gig.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, you just wait for something, another gig, right? No, it's a
1: gig. I, mean, I always called it a gig. Um, and I, I, that comes from musicians. I think they called them gigs, and I think the radio uh, people picked it up.
2: Yeah. Um, and and I I had a gig last night with my band that I got double booked for, so we didn't get to play it.
1: See. Speaking a gig, <laughs> speaking of having a gig, but <laughs> um I am. I was thinking about how do I approach this. I'm not necessarily a Kissinger fan, but right. I but I recognize his his brilliance. Uh, pick that up if you would, please.
2: I think that's the right way to approach it. You know, Kissinger has an enormous amount of. Of fans, and he has an enormous amount of detractors. And he did some interesting, worthwhile things. He did some reprehensible things. And what what you have to sort of come away with is that he's a brilliant individual who remade the foreign policy of the United States, and uh, and. Gosh, and then it gets complicated, right? You you start to say these things about historical figures, and then you suddenly get pulled into the record of weighing this against that. But he was certainly influential in the Cold War. He was very influential in bringing the Vietnam War to a conclusion. He was very influential in shaping what we think of as Nixon's foreign policy and uh, opening China, detente with the Soviet Union, but at the same time, you know, condoning massacres in Cambodia mm-hmm. and and Bangladesh and mm-hmm. places like that.
1: You know, we were talking in the first hour uh, about Francis Scott Key, and oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if you, because you you have a job and I don't, but there's this.
2: <laughs> we have about the same amount of jobs.
1: Do, <laughs> Do we? Do <laughs> we? Yes. So, um, this this is taking place in Montgomery County, Maryland. And I say how I learned and say how you learned who's Francis Scott Key. Well, uh, that classic picture is like he's in a prison cell or something and he's leaning out a window and he's penning what becomes the national anthem after watching the Stars and Stripes wave despite British bombardment during the War of 1812. Well, now in Montgomery Public Schools, they are now learning that Francis Scott Key was just another racist white guy, slave owner, whose time has come to get canceled. Yeah. Um, First of all, what do you do with all of that stuff? Because you're right. I mean, in academia, this is here.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't talk about Francis Scott Key too much in a history class. It comes up. You know, we, we get a national anthem out of the bombardment of Fort McHenry. Yeah. But, you know, the, the the talk about figures being canceled and stuff like that and the Confederate monuments being taken down, those certainly don't – the removal of like a Lee monument or the cancellation of Fr- uh, Francis Scott Key doesn't make a difference as to how these people are approached in, in academic history settings. You know, they're still going to have the stories taught. It's just that they're not going to have a statue someplace.
1: But how they're taught. Um, yeah. You know we talked about Soviet Union, we talked about you know how other things happen now here's Henry Kissinger and mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why you know the jump across is right there that Henry Kissinger boy, there's some things Henry Kissinger did were just i mean just bloodthirsty yeah
2: and the the people who insist that he should have been put on trial for war oh, crimes absolutely you know they they make a good case for it you bet. And and it, it's it's a it's a it's a needed corrective to I think the uh, I, I think you, you I'd like to know what you think about this I think human beings need to have room for more complexity in the way that we deal with history and with the way we deal with historical figures and every reassessment whether we call it cancellation or not is just sort of uh, not a not. Not a pendulum swing, because that's sort of pointless, but a needed reassessment of facts that are more complicated than most of us would want it to be.
1: Professor David Smith, our guest from Baylor University, Peter Boyle, 710 US, I I always said that, you know, these are men of their times. And Mm -hmm. the first guy that they really go after is Columbus. And Uh I mean, totally flawed human being. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, but, yeah. uh, and we just, we, we we seem to move through history. Now, the politically correct, which I think is social Marxism, which I think is witch hunting. And and when they got Kate Smith, I don't know if you remember that, but they got, <laughs> they got, they got Kate Smith because of a song she sang, Kate Smith. Um, and so they will, they will hunt where they can. And I ultimately believe, this is, that they're not necessarily after Scott Key; they're after the song, because if this is his product, yeah, that, then we can't tolerate that either.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't either. I mean every every country has national anthems, and I don't think we're going to eradicate national anthems.
1: Hmm. You know, you say things, but. History, given, I mean, again, I, I, I'm i always afraid of what I think, but I've been watching this now, removal of names and places and people, and it almost strikes me as back when the old Bolsheviks, and then all of a sudden Trotsky's not in the picture anymore, or Buchanan or whomever, you know, the Stalinist purge, and all of a sudden they're just not there. They don't exist anymore.
2: Yeah, they've been erased from yeah. these photographs. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, well, uh, do you think that a reassessment of Kissinger, for instance, is a step on the road to erasing his picture from the Nixon
1: administration? Well, that's great. I mean, I really thought about it when I was ginning up the show yesterday evening to get ready to come in and do and I thought we're going to do Henry Kissinger and kind enough you're going to be with us. And I thought because Kissinger prolonged the war and it gets it gets a we got a, a um he and Lee Docteau, that was the name, uh, mm-hmm. shared the the Nobel Peace Prize. But now we know that, you know, Nixon's shenanigans, his secret plans to end the war, those were all lies. And yeah. and Lyndon Johnson probably could have not. I'm no Lyndon Johnson fan, but Lyndon Johnson may have been able to end that. And when Nixon gets his hands on it, I mean, how many when they started bombing and Kissinger started talking about he didn't If it if it flies, it dies. I mean, that was Henry Kissinger.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it. If if it didn't necessarily prolong the war in terms of time, it certainly spread it in mm. terms of lives and territory. Yeah. And and it's 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 not something that would have happened. Like like you said, I'm not a Johnson fan, but it was not something that would have happened under Johnson.
1: Well, Johnson, if if what we're now able to know. And then Nixon through his surrogates, and one of them I think was. Uh, was Claire Chenault's widow and the so-called China lobby. And they went to Tu and Key and said, hang on, we'll get you a better deal. Mm-hmm. And instead of the deal that was being constructed. And so Tu and Key, who were greedy bastards anyhow, they hung on, only to find out Nixon had no secret plan. And all, exactly. all Yeah. And the bombings began and was linebacker and rolling thunder and all of those. And, in fact, um, they, there was more ordnance dropped on Cambodia and Laos than in Europe in all of World War II, and that was Henry Kissinger.
2: Yeah, can you imagine that? I mean, it, my gosh, it's just yeah. it boggles the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Any time a politician says they've got a secret so, plan to do anything, I, immediately you should become suspicious.
1: And Nixon got away with it.
2: Yeah. And, and here we are. Right. We're reassessing Nixon as the years have gone by and we get more perspective and we can we can see him in in a different light as we sort of try to weigh the facts differently. You know, and just because you and me criticize Richard Nixon doesn't mean we're, you know, we're pro-Soviet, or, or, which is what it meant back then. Or, right? oh,
1: sure. It's even now to say, you know, that Donald Trump lost and you become a Biden supporter. i when-
2: Where'd that come exactly, from? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's more complicated than that. Much.
1: So, and yeah. and and Kissinger, because I you know, read a bunch of Kissinger, and so when and and Pakistan is a place where the Pakistanis—that's the war for Bangladesh, and mm-hmm. there used to be East Pakistan, and that's—and they were practicing genocide, and so he and Nixon ignore the pleas, and they don't stop it. And, they, in fact, they sell weapons. We're talking about, you know, gun runners today. They sell, mm-hmm. they sell weapons to the Pakistanis.
2: Yeah, and all, they're looking at the international board through the lens of the Cold War and mm-hmm. the containment of the Soviet Union, and they say that all these little moves, well, it's like a, a, a chess player who sacrifices a pawn for a bigger goal, right? It's, it's that they've got that. That godlike perspective of the Cold War chessboard, and they say, Well, we're going to sacrifice this pawn, and it's rough for the pawn, but the bigger cause is yes. XYZ. And it makes for a cold foreign policy in which human lives are sort of discarded as Mary, well, yeah. pawns.
1: Professor David Smith, one of my true favorites with us. And then comes the end where Kissinger's with Nixon in, in the end. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, what that must have been like.
2: It must have been weird. You know, in my mind, I get the – remember the Saturday Night Live sketches oh, about it, yeah. you know, with Dan Aykroyd and, yeah. and John Belushi? And I think – I, I, I well, what it must have been like in the White House in those last few days when Nixon was just in the bunker with Kissinger. I, th-
1: I think there was another recent experience like that as well, what that mm-hmm. insanity must have been in the end. But – there he is and they they nixon uh, and kissinger is not involved with watergate i mean he's not involved right. with it
2: not at all i'm sure he if he heard about it he thought it was just madness
1: yeah and it was and it was yeah I'd <laughs> yeah, be clear but they had and, and so nixon comes to this moment and 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 i've often thought about it as a, as a nixon reader too he has to face impeachment or he resigns Talk about that moment.
2: Gosh. Well, I mean, it has to do also with the members of his party, the Republican Party in Congress, <clears throat> excuse me, coming to Nixon and saying, look, we're not going to back you. On yes. this. We're not going to put party over principle. And uh, if this goes to to trial, right, th- we're not going to back you. Huh. And he knew that if he didn't resign, he would be impeached and he would be removed from office because his party was not going to support what he had done.
1: There are these stories that, again, just as a reader, that guys like you, Scott, there's a name and, you know, Goldwater and that they mm-hmm. they they in essence go, Dick, it's time. That- you know, you, you got to go.
2: And and you know they they knew they had to know right what this would do to the party and its perceptions, but they they put principle over party.
1: Things we see again. But yeah. So so Kissinger would talk about Nixon with a little bit. Too, Nixon apparently couldn't drink. That two drinks and he's on his ear, but mm-hmm. but they were. He would go and they'd have these moments where he'd bring Kissinger into his office and 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 asking Kissinger, who was then Secretary of State, to kneel with him and pray. Mm-hmm. And I oh, I mean, think of what what Kissinger must have been thinking.
2: Exactly, you know. I mean, it, it's it's a, a measure of what sort of psychological strain Nixon was under. I think. But, you know, the relationship between them was so curious in that they both had this feeling of being outsiders mm-hmm. who were on the inside, nevertheless, yes. and they saw in each other, if not a kindred, a kindred spirit, mm-hmm. at least some sort of someone who could understand the other from the outsider's perspective. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, always.
1: Who do you think was the smarter one, Nixon or Kissinger?
2: Wow. I mean – you, you, you know what I'm going to say, right? Uh, how, how do you define smart? I, I, I mean, I, Kissinger's I, the one with a PhD from Harvard yeah. and and has written all these really yeah. insightful books about foreign policy. But uh, Nixon has oh. smarts of a different
1: sort. Nixon's brilliant. I mean, yeah. he's the most complex of, for me, li- reading Presidents, and I, I'm drawn to Nixon. Yeah. It, it, professor, is he... Perhaps, or at least in our lifetime, maybe the most complex uh, POTUS that there has been.
2: Oh yeah, I would have to say so. Certainly, in uh, complex. Holy cow! I mean, I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would uh, surpass him in complexity, really, because he was such a bundle of contradictions. He had such abilities, and his abilities were so undercut by his insecurities that that it it left him just uh just a, a a a baffling figure and a and a compelling one as well if you look at him from a human point of view.
1: And he was crippled. He was an emotional cripple.
2: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah, I I thought of him that way.
2: Yeah, and he he has risen to the position that he has risen to, you know, the president of the United States it, with a with a with a weird amalgam of of bigger Picture movements that have brought him to the fore of his party, and then to the presidency in '68, and and his uh, his emotional state has not left him. So he comes into the White mm-hmm. House with this with this emotional you know deterioration in his core, and he, he's
1: yeah. why he, did he have he to do it? Yeah.
2: yeah, you can't expect him to come into the White House and be a different Richard Nixon than he has been all his life. And that's that's something I think we need to remember about our presidents that when they get into the White House, they're going to be the same same guy they've
1: always been. That's right. Yeah. And Nixon, to me, you know that the, the whole Watergate break-in stuff, and and having read, I, I met. I think I told you I met uh, Daniel Ellsberg, and you know, the, uh, yeah, you did uh, the Wild Man, and 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 he made it real clear. You know, none of the Pentagon Papers had anything to do with Nixon. It was all right. the John, it was all the Johnson stuff. Why did Nixon think that he had to go do that? Or why did he he had won overwhelmingly had won? Why mm-hmm. did why did he have to do that stuff?
2: I don't know. he I and he I mean, he was going to win reelection easily. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And, and that's one of the I, I don't know. I mean, I have to sometimes my students will ask me a question that will just hit me like a ton of bricks. And mm-hmm. I'll just have to say, I don't know. Huh. I can look it up. I can try to track it down. But. I don't understand, and I don't know, and I don't understand why Nixon did it.
1: Uh, And you and I, and uh, here, like I said, if the Pentagon Papers were leaked, were done by Ellsberg, it had nothing to do with Richard Nixon's administration. Yeah.
2: Do you think it was just his paranoia against that entire slice of society that, that says that if the New York Times is involved with it, it's going to be antagonistic and toward me, even if it doesn't have anything to do with me.
1: But it also part of it, the one you know, the, the part of that of the papers that just so troubled me was, I mean, so much of it and some of it, so much of it applies now to the, what we're watching in the Middle East and on birth rates and protracted mm-hmm. war and uh, third world wars and all that kind of stuff. But Nixon, he feared I think he feared from reading that it would reflect badly because what? Not only is Lyndon Johnson lying to the American people, he's mm-hmm. lying. He's lying to his own party. He's lying to his his own members of Congress in the Senate. He's lying to them. Yeah. Do, do you think that Nixon's
2: approach to complex situations in his presidency was shaped by? Him watching how Johnson had been treated. Oh sure. Yeah, I think so too. Oh sure. I think so too, and, and I think he. I think he wanted to be the anti Johnson.
1: Yeah, remember his 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 um, his opponents Henry uh, excuse me Henry Kissinger, it's Hubert Humphrey, and mm-hmm. and Humphrey can't break from Lyndon Johnson. He can't tell the truth.
2: Right. Yeah. He's sort of he's sort of wedded to be the continuation yeah. of LBJ. Yeah. And you've got other Democrats in the party sort of pushing in other directions, RFK, you know, and McCarthy yeah. stuff. And and Hubert Humphrey basically said, I'll
1: carry the torch. Yeah. I'll, I'll continue the lie. And, yeah. and Nixon's already telling a whole other set of lies. <laughs> exactly. Nixon
2: I mean, says, "If you elect me, I'll at least it'll be a fresh set of lives."
1: Yeah, I've, I have the secret plan to end the war, and we now know yeah. that there was no plan.
2: No plan, and it's just sort of like faith that he and his smarts can understand it when no one else could, and that very rarely works out.
1: So he, so he meets, Henry, he meets Kissinger. Tell me on time, Lou, so I know what to do here. Two more minutes, and we'll take a pause and come back. So he meets this brilliant. Henry Kissinger and mm-hmm. and the t- I'm, I'm, I'm the two of them together in the room must have been something
2: it yeah. must have been I think that I read someplace that the two of them met at a party yes. of Claire booth Lucy
1: yeah, yes yes
2: and they they were both I mean they both ran in pretty influential circles they both ran in Republican or sort of pseudo-Republican mm-hmm. circles. And it was inevitable that they'd come across each other. And I think it's inevitable that Nixon, with his intellectual curiosity, would have been drawn to, to uh, Kissinger as this Harvard quiz kid.
1: And he was. Yeah. <laughs> and he was. He's, he's a Harvard professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about uh, – I read his stuff on uh, limited nuclear war, which is why I thought people knocked him off for strange love. But That's true. That yeah.
2: I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. But that nuclear weapons and foreign policy book that he wrote. Yeah. Like in fifty eight, that would have done it. You're right about that. I and
1: totally that, forgot about but, that. Yeah, that he they talked about how you can survive it and if you remember the end of Strange Love. <laughs> right. Mind <my>, <laughs> Fuhrer, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> love that film. I mean It's a great movie. Oh. So he he thought it was it was It was possible to have a limited, if I remember correctly, a limited nuclear war.
2: Yeah, he was talking about the tactical use of nukes rather than strategic use.
1: Yes, the sanitary strike or whatever he was Mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. And so I guess he convinced Nixon. (laughs) Jeez, oh, man. Let let me do this. I want to take a turnaround, come back, because now now Nixon's gone, and and then there's – now there's – now the president's Gerald Ford. And and I just found out recently from reading, I thought that Nixon had the pardon in his back pocket when he left. He did not. Right. He didn't have. So let me pick it up there. This is honest, you guys. Uh, if there is a true favorite, he is here. Uh, from Baylor University, the one, the only, Professor David Smith. The toy runs tomorrow. Uh, on our website, we do our show called The Shoot on YouTube. And a dear friend of mine sent a book to me about an old – in fact, there was an era of karate fighters in the late 60s into the 70s, and they were taking heads. And uh, this guy's name is Jim Button and he did, I think, a perfect shoot. So if you get a web, get a chance to go on the web, go to 710 us and then click on shows, click on me, and it'll turn up the, the shoot with Jim Button is there. All right, 45 the to high today, but 49 for the toy run tomorrow on Sunday. Saturday morning, everybody, the second morning of December. Tomorrow's the toy run 2023. 710K in U.S. Weather Center weather. 45 is what we get. I'm going to ride my motorcycle today and then 49 tomorrow for the toy run. Wonderful guest on hold. Ski resorts are experiencing snow, making it a just it's getting to be that time. So consider getting your skis and snowboards for a tune, maybe even getting new gear for Christmas for the best winter sports equipment. My friend. Uh, The guys, John Marriott, Paul, the people at Larson Ski and Sport, located just south of I-70 on Kipling. If you're looking to rent or buy equipment, Larson's has you covered. They're dedicated to providing you with the best skiing experience possible. And I'm a fan. We've represented these guys for, I don't know, 20 years. The convenience of Larson's is unbeatable. Perfect stop on your way up or down the mountain. So you're westbound on I-70. You get off on the Kipling exit, come down the ramp, make a left, go underneath I-70. Come out the other side, look to the right, and you'll see the Crab Shack. And then right next to the Crab Shack, another big wooden building. And that's it, seven days a week, Larson Ski and Sport. It's packed. I mean, it's like everything and anything from great warm equipment to new side, new mountain, all-mountain skis and side cuts and cross-countries and snowboards and whatever you need. John and the guys at Larson's are absolute experts. His son, Jack, is the man. Everything you need for winter sports. Stop in today. Tell him I sent you. Seven days a week, going up or coming home. Larson Ski and Sports. South of I-70 on Kipling. Their web is Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, Sport 303-423-0654. 303-423-0654. Seven days a week. LarsonSport.com. Our guest is the man from Baylor University. He is he has bailed me out of so many radio shows. I, <laughs> I, 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 and he's wonderful when I call him. I'm a student, okay, sure. And he's, again, today we're talking about Henry Kissinger dead at 100. And what an impact Kissinger had. And I'm not a fan of Kissinger's, but you can, you can look at him with brilliance and go, man, that was, that was really smart. So, so now Nixon's gone. And I didn't know until I, I don't know I was reading something a couple of years ago. I thought the pardon was already done, and it wasn't.
2: Right, I think a lot of people did, but I think the pardon was something that came out of Ford's understanding of the situation after he became president, and he thought, "I'm now president. We've got a national crisis. We've got a national crisis that could even expand and become more dramatic." What's the best way for me to get this off the table? And I think that's what led him to the pardon decision.
1: Yeah, he had. I think, and I'm a Gerald Ford fan. I, he had. Two, I am too. Yeah, he had two things that the um, if you if you read Kissinger and Lee Docteau, and all Kissinger asked for was enough time before the uh, the NVA took over the South. He just wanted a a cushion, which was yeah. Which was a
2: respectable. What, what, yeah, what was the phrase right. that he used? Yeah, like sure. a respectable right. uh, time
1: yes. uh, distance. And they wanted the POWs, and they wanted that, and which was really when Trump negotiates, and they and the Afghan thing that they hung on Biden, and I'm no Biden fan, but they they never dealt with the government in Kabul. They dealt with uh, with you know with the people who were going to run the show, and they really thought that the. Um, Afghan army would hold up like the you know like the army in South Vietnam did the Arvins exactly yeah and they 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 folded instantly and yeah. uh, and but Trump had the idea if, if my readings correct that they would that they would hold the line Mm-hmm. and um, they they collapsed immediately yeah and then it,
2: it, very much like South Vietnam
1: yeah. And they 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 held it for a while. But then, so coming down Route 1 is the NVA, and they're going to Saigon. And all the Hawks and elected Hawks wanted Gerald Ford to start it all up again. And yep. Ger- and Gerald Ford said no, which I thought was brilliant.
2: Yeah. You know, I they're, they're not a whole lot of presidents that I have a lot of trust in in general. But mm-hmm. Ford is somebody that I I feel like he was— Really, I mean, if you knew Gerald Ford, you knew what you were going to get, yeah. and he was a good
1: guy. Yeah, he did that, and he pardoned Nixon. And mm-hmm. according to people I read, those were the two major uh, variables in his his loss to Jimmy Carter.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it, it it's something that is, and his uh, his the um, it, it 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 stirred up conservative uh, resistance mm-hmm. to him in the party, yeah. which is where Reagan came in. Right. Oh, absolutely! In, in the campaign in '76, right? Jo- Gerald Ford was was challenged from the right yes. in the party because of what he had done to that's to ex- move forward.
1: That's exactly right. And remember, they were talking about a co-presidency. He and Ronald Reagan.
2: I do, I do remember that. And I, I that's that's pretty nutty.
1: Yeah, which wasn't going to happen. I and I'm like this huge Reagan fan. But what a what a crossroads moment. And yeah, and so. And now what? So looking back on Kissinger, and, and I think, how does history judge Henry Kissinger?
2: You know, I think, uh, I, I think you judge him as a complicated figure who was a major force in shaping the second half of the 20th century internationally. I think he's a major figure in the relationship between the United States and China for certain.
3: Oh,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: And I think that I I think that his observations about foreign policy and his books on the way the world works, his books on China, his books on world order are 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 worthy of study and use. But we can't lionize him because he did some horrible things.
1: Whose idea was it um, to go to China? Um, Some people said Nixon. Other people said Kissinger. Uh, Your reading, what su- who suggested breaking, breaking my
2: through? Reading is, my reading is that they both saw a benefit from it. They both understood that the United States and China need to be talking because a lot of the stuff that was going wrong in the world at the time was because of the United States and China not talking. Hmm. And I don't think it was Kissinger saying we need to do this and having to explain it to Nixon. I don't think it was vice versa. I think they both sort of intuitively understood that China needed needs to be open and that the United States can benefit in myriad ways, right, geostrategically from having a counterweight in the world to the Soviet Union. And that's why Nixon, and Nixon wanted to do it secretly and, mm-hmm. and Kissinger said, Absolutely, send me and and then then the die was cast.
1: And what a hot foot it gave Brezhnev. Whew. Oh,
2: yeah. Right? yeah, I mean it's you think that the, the Soviets were counting on the U.S. and China never having any sort of rapprochement, and then suddenly Nixon and Kissinger bust that door open, and then suddenly the Soviets have to to recalibrate.
1: Oh man! I mean, if and I kind of like read what the Soviets said, they didn't see that coming.
2: No, they didn't at all. And 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 I think that the Soviets believed that all Americans saw the world. As a bipolar thing in the yes. Cold War, just the just the communist world and just the American-led world, and Kissinger and Nixon said, "Oh no, it's far more complicated than that."
1: Can I change horses on you as a final question? And it's not easily answerable. I doubt if all. But <laughs> never, no one better to ask than you. Uh, the uh, it's combat has begun again in in Gaza. Yeah, I saw that. What's the way out of this? Oh, uh,
2: I don't know. Uh, I, I I I know that things that are happening now are going to create lasting scars that keep the keep the hatred open. And and when I see, um, I mean, I mean, you know, you think about the the Hamas and you see the. The 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 destruction in Gaza. You think this is just going to be propaganda for Hamas? Absolutely. And it, it's just going to keep the thing going. I don't know what the answer is, but I sure would like to. I, I'd like to see fewer civilian casualties. That's for sure.
1: And it's on now. So, are you are you starting to sense from reading and listening that the tide is turning against Israel? That the Israelis are now being portrayed as the bad guys
2: you know it's it's uh there's a little bit of that right when you look around the world and you start to see it's it's difficult right because the you know the the rise in anti-semitism is something that seems to be going right hand in hand with this and then you're forced to ask well can you can can you the old question can you oppose Israeli policy and not be anti-semitic but Uh I do get the feeling that uh a lot of people are looking at this situation and thinking that wow there's a bit of an overreaction here
1: and how can it end the israelis I, can't stay i mean you once you're there
2: yeah, yeah I, i'd like to know what is there an end game no. is this just is this like all tactics and no strategy or or is it somebody you know like nixon who mm-hmm. has a secret plan yep. that's going to have these wonderful effects but is not going to happen
1: is Netanyahu on his way out? Do you think he'll be
2: Gosh, I he's pretty well entrenched. I yeah. don't know if he's going to be on his way out or not. And now, I know a lot of people would yeah. like to see him on the way out.
1: Wow. What what a place. I mean what a place and it's that yeah. then that great line of there is there is no tomorrow it's simply yesterday repeating itself.
2: Yeah, that's exactly. You know, uh in one of my classes just this past week we talked about the Arab revolt. Mm-hmm. In in World War One, and we oh, talked yeah. about Lawrence, and we read some Lawrence in the Arab Revolt, and and people in my class were saying that you know this is this is a harbinger of what was to oh, come absolutely. seventy eighty years later, and I absolutely.
1: said absolutely. I'm am I'm sure. a Lawrence fan. I mm-hmm. I've read well,
2: that. I ju- I just created a whole bunch more Lawrence fans in my class. Oh, I'm a new-
1: <laughs> Lawrence is in Damascus, and he yeah. see and he's and he sees the French army marching in, and he knows, yeah, he knows what they've done. Yeah,
2: it's 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 a it's a land that is that is rife with problems that that you 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 get the feeling that I don't know if outsiders can fix this at all. No,
1: matter of fact, outsiders are probably the reason why it is what it is.
2: Yeah, outsiders have made it far worse.
1: Merry Christmas, sir. I mean, I just I can't tell you. I mean, how many how many years you've been doing radio with us, and we've never met. This is the truth. I've never met this this man.
2: That's it's it's horrible. I need to what I want to do. I want to come up to Denver. I want to get, find some venue that I can give a talk about my new George Dewey and the Navy book. You know, I, I read and the
1: book. That's, we've done the show on that book. That's a good book. Yeah,
2: we, we talked about it when it came out. And I, I want to I want to come in there and, and spend a Saturday morning with you in I, person. I'll
1: give you the show. I mean, I'll sit in the other room. <laughs> what I learned from you, and, and and it's on it's on the Jersey Shore, and it's called or it's Delaware, I think, called Dewey Beach. Dewey Beach, absolutely named for him. Named for him, and the other one is I am reading this new um, history of the Cold War. This guy's a a Norwegian historian, and it's yeah. I why did you think Lenin was named? Why did why do you think he picked the name? You may already know this. I didn't know it. Why is Lenin Lenin? I don't
2: know. I don't know the name. I don't when know he when he
1: that. when he was in exile in Siberia, he lived next to a river, the Lena. L e n a. Uh huh, and that's where he got Lenin. Wow, I yeah, had no I, idea. I, like I knew that. that Stalin was man of steel, right? Trotsky's the the spark, I think, is Trotsky.
2: Yeah, all these all and, these re- people who rename themselves rena- to absolutely convey their, their destiny.
1: But this guy says Lenin, because I always thought it was something else. They said no, he he lived by this river, and he wrote the one that everybody should read: "What is to be done." Mm-hmm. That was his first, you know, big, powerful pamphlet, and his, yeah. And he wrote that, and I, I read What Is to Be Done, and, uh, and there he is, and he's he's, he's Lenin.
2: <laughs> and he, he named for the river. That's that's, that's what, that, yeah. That would that would be like an American adopting the name Mississippi or Missouri yeah, or, yeah, or Missouri, something like
1: that, or in my case Allegheny.
2: <laughs> yeah, that that ties. Yeah, right, exactly right. It ties you yeah. into a setting yeah. and a people and a place and a and a loyalty
1: never read it before this guy's really really good i mean he's real it's real lengthy and it's one of those and i'm reading this other book about um oh i just finished the book called the dalton's about um we're going to get the guy on the show pretty soon the next next saturday story about the dalton gang about emmett Dalton. oh wow and, and all right so here's my question to you that comes from that when did outlaws become gangsters
2: Ooh, I My my inclination would have to say probably in the twenties, wouldn't yeah. you think, with prohibition yeah. and Al Capone yeah. and, and organized gangsterism, right? Yeah. Organized outlaws yeah. equal gangsters.
1: They're because they're they're trained robbers and bank robbers. But well, who was Clyde Barrow? He was a bank robber. Who was John Dillinger? He was a bank robber. Or pretty boy yeah. and Charlie Arthur Floyd, pretty boy. He was like they're bank robbers. Yeah. And, and the Daltons, but the Jameses and. Uh, they're all they're all relatives. I mean, they're all they're all related to each other, and often
2: the younger boys and the James boys, yes, yeah. and, and the the syndicalization of that yeah, kind of stuff yeah, is interesting, yeah. right, in the eighteen seventies and eighties.
1: And they're they're all they're all bank robbers.
2: <laughs> I tell you what, you know, right. if you love history, you're never going to have a shortage of things to think about.
1: I've been pondering this one. Like, because he asked, he said, "Well, when did these guys? They were outlaws. Well, who do we call outlaws now? Like nobody. They're gangsters, but they're, they were yeah. outlaws. But they were also folk heroes too. That was part of it.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Right, songs about the James Boys yes. and stuff, and yes. standing up to the law and standing up to the federals and stuff yeah. like that.
1: You can't. They said there's parts of Missouri that if you go to, say something bad about Frank and Jesse, you're going to duck."
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the, that's the whole Robin Hood myth, yep. right? You know, it, it's it's uh, the person standing up against the faceless, yep. I don't know, institution.
1: About, I don't know, thousands of years ago, I read a book about uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, or part of that Charlie Arthur Floyd, and they were burning mortgages. They'd get inside of those banks in Oklahoma. Yeah, and they'd burn mortgages, and and so the the, the bank couldn't kick the dusters off, and so <laughs> they, they loved him. They, they'd hide yeah. him out, and they'd hide him out and stuff.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's he's he's fighting for them against yeah, uh, yeah. against the man.
1: Against the man's trying to keep him down.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Professor, Merry Christmas, and thank you. And I know we'll talk asap. But thank you for all the years you've done been oh, kind enough to do it. Thank
2: you for having me. My relationship with you is the goal of my personal life, man.
1: Thank you, sir. Be safe. All right, everybody. Open lines 303-696-1971. We're talking about Francis Scott Key, Henry Kissinger. That's that's really some stuff. The toy runs tomorrow. The shoot has karate fighter Jim Buton on. This is 710K U.S. It's four six before the hour, new hour of open line straight ahead on a Saturday, the second morning of December. And again, Stack Optical at a holiday gift giving. If you got somebody in the like maybe you, you you can't see anymore and it's happening more and more to people that get older and older like me, comes Allen Stack Stack Optical, but it is a wonderful gift to give. Been serving the Denver area since 1968 his dad started. Focusing on providing the highest standards of customer service. They have the greatest selection of eyewear. I'm going to ride my motorcycle today, so I got the eyewear for the motorcycle. They work on appointments. Be sure to call ahead before coming in. So, a difficult prescription, they help. On site eyeglasses production lab delivers the best quality prescription sunglasses, sporting lenses, eyeglasses, everything I got from stock, uh, from stack with the motorcycle glasses. Prescription ski goggles, sunners, you name it. Stack Optical has what you're looking for located at 2233 South Monaco Parkway near South Monaco and Evans. Call them today. Make the appointment. $69 eye exam at 303 321 1578. 303 321 1578. You make the appointment next Tuesday at 1 o'clock. Whatever you need, they make it work. Visit them online. Stack STACK. StackOptical.com, Premier Care, Vision Health, Allen Stack and Company. Make the appointment, 303-321-1578, and you're in. Right near South Monaco and Evans, they are there. So we go to we go to Ralph, and Ralph, if we come up on time, I'll have to bring you back on the other side. Good morning.
3: Great. I'll make two, two points. First, Dr. Strangelove. Kissinger, partially, but also a guy by the name of Herman Kahn. He was at Rand Corporation. He was the guy that did the classified work on escalation. He wrote a book called On Thermal Nuclear War, Thinking About the Unthinkable. Okay. And that was his whole bit, is that you didn't have to worry about Dukes because you could control the escalation. Didn't work in Vietnam either. No. Second point, very quick, I'll make it for him. Um, Are we going to get rid of, say, the Declaration of Independence? The Constitution and the Bill of Rights by these people?
1: Sure, there you are.
3: I mean, Jefferson it, was a slave owner, yes? For, Declaration of Independence. Washington. Constitution. Yeah.
1: Washington. He yes. signed it. Yes. No, it, it's, it's the point of all of this. We talked about uh, when this is a good call, and I may keep you to bounce into the other hour. I'm reading last week, show prepping, and I find this story, and it comes out of um, Maryland and they're going to remove Francis Scott Key's name from a school, and then apparently more than one school. The reasoning is that Francis Scott Key, and again, uh, your, your calls are always so good. May I ask none of my business how old you are? I'm 70. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some kid. A- I, well, i, well, I got to think about what year it is, you know. Yeah, both of us. And anyhow, so what did you learn about Francis Scott Key when you were a little, a little Ralph?
3: Uh, that he was negotiating for the release of American officers. Yeah. That's why he's in that prison. That's right. And that the British were, they hadn't quite decided who they would release and who they wouldn't, and who they would take as, you know, how much money or whatever. Right. So he got to spend the night, and he spent the night there. Uh, Actually, he was not in the prison, I don't believe. He was on the ramparts of... That's of right he the was prison building That's right, and those are the ramparts that he 's talking about it 's not a fort it 's a prison, but he was negotiating um a prisoner exchange
1: and so he pens what will become our national anthem after watching the stars and stripes wave despite British bombardment during the war of eighteen twelve fair enough correct all right well let me let me add one more thing, sure. the tune was
3: a british
1: drinking That's right. song. That's right. You you're brilliant. Let me let me look at my timer here. Hang on, I'm bringing you back. You stay right there. All right. It's going to be a second hour of open second, third hour of open line straight ahead on Peter Boyle's it's a Saturday morning, 7:10 KNUS